people of the world, welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language, episode 251. Oh, it's going to be a good one. Our guest today is an agency owner. Did you know that he had a little newspaper that he started? It was a family newspaper. Um, and he is a podcast host. He uh, sold potato chips on the playground. You're really going to want to meet an incredible Gresham Harkless. But before we do, just in time for a quick recap of the social media news. Why do you need to suddenly delete Google Maps on your iPhone? Well, according to Forbes.com, you need to do it because Apple Maps does not link the data in the same way, which is to say that Google is an absolute monster when it comes to gathering all potential data about you, tracking you, et cetera, whereas Apple, not so much. There was actually an article, not an article, uh, commercial I saw the other day where Apple is basically promoting all of the privacy uh, and they have a good incentive to do that because Google makes all their money on tracking you, retargeting ads, et cetera, as does Facebook and all the other social media platforms where Apple, it's not where they drive their revenue. TechCrunch.com, Facebook officially launches live audio rooms and podcasts in the US. So if you're a podcaster and you haven't checked out the live audio rooms or podcasts, um, there is an opportunity now, obviously with social media sites like TikTok, um, there is a small window of opportunity to grow a fan base. I am interested to see whether or not there's going to be the same opportunity for podcasters on Facebook. If you haven't checked that out, you may want to do just that. Um, Facebook beating Twitter again on the stock front. So I'm right there with everyone else. I don't think Twitter can hold a candle to Facebook. I think Facebook's going to kill it. I think this whole idea of super follows is super stupid um, and not worth the money. And uh, finally, um, as the pandemic subsides, businesses push Congress for one more bailout. I don't think that businesses like mine are going to receive it. Um, the last round of PPP, you had to show a significant loss in one of the quarters of, I want to say, 2020, which we were unable to do. But restaurants and uh, hotels, et cetera, are looking for more money. And that makes sense to me. Uh, backstage, uh, we were laughing, Gresh and I, about the visions that we have of our future and as we get older, how those visions change. As I said before, he's been an entrepreneur from the very get-go. We're gonna learn a million and a half things from our guest today. Welcome to the show, the one, the only, Gresham Harkless. Great to be here, Kellen. Appreciate Let's you having go. me. Oh, yes. All right, so what is the secret to happiness? Ha, the secret to happiness is, is different for everybody, but I will tell you this. Sometimes, as we were, you were kind of talking about, I think sometimes we think that it, it is about money, it's about things in the banking account. And I think to a certain point, you know, you definitely want to be able to, of course, you know, pay for certain things and, you know, take care of all those things. But I think the constant pursuit of happiness doesn't really have a lot to do with money. Um, and I think that's something that we were kind of alluding to, you know, before you even got started with the show. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, my kiddos are just invaluable. Obviously, I feel like a lot of fathers and mothers have that. We just celebrated Father's Day. Yeah, um, where you just, Day. yeah thanks. Um, okay, so as an agency owner for nine years, you've kept it lean and mean, which is to say you haven't gone the W-2 route, um, but you're feeling pressure to start doing that now. Do you think that's something that you're going to um, do in the next few years, few months, few days? <laughs> Maybe in the next few years is, is something that I'm definitely thinking about. Um, I think that you kind of get to a certain you know point where you know you have the contractors and you lose 
I think some of the connection and kind of, I don't want to say control, because that sounds like I'm saying you got to do this, you got to do that. But I think you want to have somebody that's a little bit more, has more skin in the game, maybe, you know, in the business. And that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to with me potentially like working on other projects, like who would replace me? It's not probably going to be a contractor. So um, not to say I wouldn't still, you know, be involved, but I wouldn't be as involved in the day to day as I have been. So that's what's kind of like maybe making me think about, okay, this is probably something I need to do, not, you know, holistically for everybody, but you might want to have that key person that could be that kind of point person, so to speak. Yeah. How do you juggle sales and operations? It's, it's hard. I mean, I'm very, I'm very virtual. I'm very much a, um, a very efficient person, I think. So I lose a lot of, you know, technology and that helps, you know, save a lot of time as far as like, you know, reaching out to clients, keeping track of things. Like I use a tool called Basecamp that I swear by. Um, and those things have helped me be extremely efficient and not only me, but also people on the team. Um, to where it hasn't, I haven't need to hire an employee. So I think that helps out from an operation standpoint. And my job has kind of always been just to kind of, you know, make sure the trains are running, make sure things are being done, but also to kind of be the face, go out and get, you know, opportunities. So it's a, it's a fine line, but I think because I do most things, you know, virtually even before the pandemic, I think I'm really kind of cognizant of time, what's, potential time waster and just how to, you know, kind of hone in on the time that I do have and try to leverage it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Is it relationships are uh, that, that are driving the, the revenue? Is it BNI groups, networking? How are you doing it? Combination. So I have been networking really since day one. Um, and I, I really enjoy, you know, people. That's why I love, you know, all the work that you do and what you kind of talked about as a foundational element of your show is really get to know people, to connect with people and hopefully, you know, build those relationships over time. So that's something I've always tried to do. And I started my business actually in a BNI. So um, something I learned there as far as like more of the mechanics of it, but I still feel like like even, you know, knowing the formula, you have to be able to kind of execute the form. You have to be able to like people for lack of a better term. So you can't really just follow a system in order to do that. So I think learning like what networking is, learning what business was, was definitely something that I took from, you know, BNI and being in a BNI and learning. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, between that and then I've taken a lot of the digital, taken a lot of the digital tools that I've used, like the podcast and stuff like that and the blog and hopefully have it as a way to kind of network as well, too. It's just one of my big, you know, um, drivers for doing that. So it's kind of a different way to network, kind of like you're doing, but it, at the same time, it kind of complements that, um, more, I guess, traditional networking. Yeah. I, I miss my in-person BNI. I was, uh, the chapter president last time, which pays incredibly well. I don't know if you've ever been a BNI chapter president, but no. I, I haven't, but I, oh, I heard. <laughs> fat checks, fat checks. Yeah, it's just wonderful. Live in large. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed being the president of that chapter, running the show, making jokes, having a good time, and then bam, pandemic. And so I you know, had to take the whole chapter virtual and it was stressful and turned out it was fun at the end of the day, but the BNI model, which I mean, I'm cool with in person is not that impressive online because there's a million different BNI like meetings that you can go to for free. I mean, they cropped up everywhere. So BNI went from having like, let's call it 30 competitors, 50 competitors to like 
hundreds of thousands, everyone was doing networking online. And so I still do it because I have got clients there, but I've had to change my strategy and I'll admit that I was slow to doing it. Um, there is a BNI national speed networking, which is really neat that I did that I'm enjoying. Um, I'm never, have you heard of lunch club or like, uh, I, I just heard of that last week actually. So yeah. I'm I wonder that out. Yeah, me too. I, cause it's just, it's like match.com for business mm -hmm. people, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is hilarious. I'm an Aries. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I don't know, man, I, I are you doing a lot of like online networking? Yeah. So fu funny enough, um, when the pandemic happened, I was out of BNI, but I went mm -hmm. back to a BNI chapter. So kudos to you because I always say much respect to people that were president when everything happened because they didn't <gasps> get to decide to be president. Um, you know, the, the next, you know, um, leadership got to decide, but the leadership before they didn't have to. So I feel like a lot of, um, I feel really bad for people that aren't tech savvy that end up being president. Um, because I went to some of those meetings and, you know, I won't say any names, obviously, but it wasn't uh, <laughs> the best meetings I've, I've been to. But you're absolutely right where everything's kind of shifted and changed. So I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to kind of see how, you know, everything, you know, goes. But, yeah, I've been pretty active. But I think with everybody, like I, I started to get a lot of Zoom fatigue because when, you know, the pandemic happened, I went back to BNI and I said, I'm going to visit every chapter in the United States. Uh, wow. That was kind of like my mission and my mindset. Needless to say, after about uh, two or three weeks, I started to get tired because you go to the same meetings. It's the same thing, trying to sit in the meeting um, on Zoom instead of like in person. It's just a different type of energy. So I quickly kind of pivoted from that. But I thought that there was going to be kind of like a big, um, I guess, we are BNI type spirit. Uh, no matter what your chapter was. And I haven't seen that come to, you know, the forefront as much as I thought, but I still feel like the, at least the, the seeds are planted for that. If it as a, Yeah. As agency owners, I always feel like I don't close business one and done ever. It's so rare that I will meet someone at a thing. We will exchange information and then that becomes a client. Um, I get my clients when I've talked to them for the 13th time the 16th time, the 23rd time, um, that's when they're, or they're a warm referral. That's then, then, then one and done is fine. Cause they already did that because I feel like working with agencies is just like hiring someone. It's there's like an immense amount of trust that needs to be built up and everyone's skeptical right away. And there's nothing in our industry that has people, um, what's the word to describe it? Uh, there's no, it's not like a realtor where they went through some classes and did stuff. Like anyone can just say they're good at marketing and they do, <laughs> they do say that <laughs> they do. and they don't know what they're doing. <sighs> yeah. It's, it's so funny that you say that. Cause uh, I say some of my best uh, clients are people, people that have had a less than ideal experience. And a lot of it is because of that, because there is like no quote unquote regulation of it, like other, you know, different industries or different, you know, positions. So you have to really, you know, you, you have to really know like who you're hiring, but that's why I love like what you're doing because you're demystifying a lot of the marketing piece because people don't really know as much as they should know to even know who to hire, let alone do it themselves. So kind of demystifying that is something that's huge. And I find so many people have no idea 
Um, and a lot of my best clients have had really bad experiences in the past, unfortunately. But, you know, sometimes it makes them appreciate, you know, when a good agency and somebody that knows what they're talking about comes in the door. That's true. And then ignorance is not a, a good enough excuse, I find, for um, for anything. Like when I was a when I owned rental properties, I I rent I was the landlord for a few years. So I understood what went into it. And then when we hired people, I could know whether or not they were garbage, you know. Um, same thing is true for business owners. So many of them are like, I don't understand it. Just tell me what I'm like, you are just, you are a small fish, man. And there's a lot of fish that are just going to gobble you up because of right. your ignorance. You know, you need to, you need to know enough. You need to know enough, you know? So business owners look into it, understand SEO, the basics. Um, I had lunch with this kid, kid it was like 19 years old and he had a few clients and he's like, yeah, I just charge them like $1,200 a month. And then I pay these people in India $200 and I'm making like $1,000 a month in these clients. And I was like, you do realize you can have all of your clients get sandboxed in Google permanently banned, gone. They work their entire life for this. You're the reason that happened. You don't understand this at all. The, like the karmic retribution, your reputation, their families, all of these things are on your shoulders and you're, you're cool with that. He's like, well, they're doing good work. I'm like, you have no idea what they're doing. I asked you four questions about SEO. You could answer one of them, mm. right? So obviously he's not going to have any sort of life long-term in the business with that sort of mentality because you can't, you can't get clients. But yeah, just buyer beware, business owners. Yeah, and I'm definitely sorry to hear that. And I, I say so many times, like even on my shows that, you know, we forget about the human aspect of business. And I appreciate you, you know, talking about that because there was like a meme that was saying, you know, when you're supporting a small business, you're not paying the, you know, CEO's fat check, your fat check, you know, or, or a bonus or something like that. You're helping, you know, a business owner put their kids through, you know, dance recitals or all those things that we kind of forget about. And you're absolutely right. You know, I think the moral compass needs to adjust a lot, you know, from a marketing, you know, industry perspective where people are just popping up and saying, oh, I can charge this and I can take people's money when you're really not, you know, some, and especially with SEO, some people are not even putting the time in um, because the clients don't really understand what to ask, what to look for, just things like that. So they're essentially just kind of stealing clients' money. It's, it's a shame for the industry. Yeah, it really is. So let's pivot a little bit just to marketing strategies in 2021 and, and what seems to be working and what doesn't. Give me the 10,000 foot view. Yeah. So um, I'm really big and, and I know I've, I've been in business for nine years. So marketing has definitely you know changed tremendously. Um, I have my whole marketing philosophy, which kind of extends into you know all the content that I create and we work on. Um, I say everybody's kind of like in the media business um, and I call it, you know, you are your own media company. And I think the the biggest piece of it, and because each of the different platforms, and as you were kind of saying in, in the news pieces, um, each of the platforms is becoming its own kind of marketing channel. Like digital marketing is just what Facebook is in and of itself, in addition to all these other things. So they're so robust now that um, I'm really big into like understanding your target market, understanding what your goals are, and being honest about your resources, and then figuring out what are the essential ingredients for that to happen for you to reach whatever your goal is. I think so many times you'll hear marketers because this is their, um, this is in their wheelhouses. This is the thing that they do. They'll say, you know, you need to be on TikTok or you need to do SEO or you need to have a podcast or write a book or do whatever. And um, I consider those to be, I call them ingredients. So I'm really big on picking one or two ingredients, just like if you're going to the grocery store, depending on what it is you're trying to create. 
And I think so many times when you understand that and you, you really understand your target market, you can continue to kind of change with the times. But I think so many times people are like, you know, so-and-so said I have to be on TikTok. So I have to be on TikTok, even though you might be selling to like 70 year olds. Um, that may not necessarily be the best place for you to spend your resources. So I think it's just really understanding each of the different nuances. Um, like you mentioned, you know, and says so well, it's knowing the decisions that you're making and being strategic about them, not necessarily being the expert or the go-to all the time, if you're going to hire somebody, but at least have, you know, some lay of the land. So, you know, okay, this makes sense. Or even if this person tells me that I need to be doing this and my target market's not there, maybe that's not the best advice. And maybe that person doesn't know what it is they're, talk they're talking about. But um, that's, you know, my big kind of marketing philosophy is just like understanding those nuances, understanding the one or two ingredients, and then really focus and drilling down on them from there. Because you kind of have to be, you know, very, um, very active. And you have to know a lot about the platforms that you're going to be. And it's really hard to kind of know about all the, the major platforms unless you have a, a tremendous uh, budget. Mm. I like the analogy of ingredients because just because a dish has 15 ingredients doesn't make it better than a dish that has six. Mm -hmm. So that that's good. And that's some ancient sort of Taoist wisdom condensed, you know, <laughs> less is more. Um, yeah. I went, uh, I had some noodles yesterday at my friend's house. So Choi is her name. Uh, we're watching the Vegas Knights game. She comes over. She says, do you want spaghetti? I'm like, I was thinking in my head, just spaghetti. You know what I mean? Just plain spaghetti noodles. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want spaghetti, you know? And then this is my ignorance showing. And then she goes back and we're watching the game and all of a sudden the house smells delicious. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, I made a terrible mistake. What have I done? <laughs> and uh, as she feeds these kids, I'm looking at these noodles, I'm smelling the house. I'm, I'm like, oh, regrets. And she looked at me and she sees the regrets and she goes, <laughs> You want spaghetti? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly, you know, I did the whole, you know. And she's like, I'm making you spaghetti. I'm like, ah, you know. So she she ends up making like the most delicious soy sauce, garlic mm. spaghetti with red pepper flakes. Just oh, so good. I still taste it. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, so good. So it just goes to show that, you know, um, as agency owners, we live in this weird paradox of what works for us does not work for our clients. Most of the time, um, we have to be out in front of folks. We have to be building relationships. We have to do networking with business owners. We are B2B and B2B marketing is not B2C, you know, and it's definitely not national B2C. Um, my sister who owns a cosmetic and wig company will pop on TikTok, get half a million views and make $40,000. That we don't have that luxury, you know. Right. People on TikTok right. are not business owners. You know, we mm -hmm. uh, we just live in this different world, and it's it's so funny to me that our internet marketing skill isn't necessarily a benefit to us as much as it is to our clients. Right. Yeah. That that makes perfect sense, and I, I think that's you know, like you said, you know, part of knowing you know your target market, what you're actually doing, what you're actually selling, where your target market is, because. B2B is definitely different, you know, from B2C. But I think there's there is always um and that's why I say the resources thing is really huge because I think there's a place for being there before other people are being there. But you have to know that you're doing that. Like if you're gonna start doing TikTok because you wanna be a, a first mover, mm. that's a lot different than saying, I'm getting all my clients here from TikTok, you know, and I'm gonna spend all my resources there versus like, okay, I have a, an intern that I just hired, for example. And I want that intern to kind of see if there's some B2B, maybe not even 
networking opportunities, but maybe just relationships or networking that can come from TikTok. So it's just like looking at things differently and seeing that, you know, even though the platform may not be where your target market is, you want to kind of be there if as possible right before it happens. But if you have to spend a little bit of time and get, um, you know, that experience there, then there might be some opportunities that come together later. Yeah, and I, I do enjoy, because I started going on TikTok, and my first video was 500, then 600, then 700, then 50, then 160, and like, I'm like all over the place. And apparently, yeah. TikTok will always give you 500 views on your first video, because they want you oh. to get really excited, part of the algorithm. That's right. um, and so it may not be the best platform for us long term. You can take your TikTok and auto automatically feed it to Instagram, which is what I've been doing. Um, but I'm also doing it because... I want to be at least somewhat knowledgeable when I talk to clients. I want to understand the platform. I want to have made a few, you know, I want to be in the trenches a little bit. Um, it's one of the reasons I wrote a book. It's one of the reasons I do this podcast so that I can go to my clients and say, you really should have a podcast. Well, why, you know, how do you do it? And this and that. I'm like, well, I'm on episode 251. So um, link building alone is a fantastic reason why you should have a podcast. Um, if you have a live show and you use Restream or some other simulcasting platform, you can get a link from Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube, and LinkedIn. That's five. And then you put it on Buzzsprout, which syndicates it on all the podcast platforms, and that's another 14, 15. So you can build 20 links an episode. Mm -hmm. That's good SEO. That's excellent SEO. And I think a lot of people don't realize it because they don't, you know, understand, you know, the nuances of it. Like we've been talking about it's just if you're understanding, like even, you know, I say even having social media platforms, even if you say I'm not going to spend time on, you know, Facebook, for example, but you have a Facebook page for one, nobody can get, you know, whatever username or whatever ever handle you end up using. But two, you have those SEO benefits from sites like that, you know, different, you know, uh, podcast that you're doing YouTube, which is a huge search engine in and of itself. So just understanding all those nuances, it, it just business, sometimes business owners don't see all those different pieces. Yeah. So maybe you can educate me on having like an Upwork staff because I, I don't, I don't go down that path. Obviously we talked about that. Um, so what are the benefits of working with folks on those sorts of platforms? Price, obviously, right? It's cheap, cheaper, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of obviously you want to hire somebody and that's a big part. And by no means am I an expert at doing it. I've been able to kind of bring people, you know, on the team through Upwork. But yeah. I think for me, I was able to from day one, I kind of knew that I wanted to build a team. I didn't want to be the person that was doing everything. So I wanted to bring on people before I needed to bring on people. That's probably the absolute biggest thing is because you get that opportunity for one. I got to work on my leadership skills, but also too, you get the opportunity to kind of vet certain people on certain, you know, on projects that maybe if it doesn't go as well, the person isn't exactly who you thought it was, um, you can still kind of do some of the work. So that's the biggest thing I would say, probably hiring in general is if you can bring on somebody before you need to bring on somebody, that's just going to make it a little bit easier. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to be able to kind of, you know, I won't say necessarily go slow in the process, but, you know, make sure you're going through each of the steps to make sure you're hiring somebody. And, and for Upwork, you know, specifically, I think um, there's resources you have to spend on obviously bringing somebody on, but you also have to spend resources on attracting talent. Um, mm -hmm. That's where Upwork kind of gives you that kind of 
cheat code if you can find the right person where you have loads and loads of people from different parts of the country um, to, you know, even in the states as well, too. You can make that decision and that you only want to hire people in the states. You can select all of that. You can figure out like how much you want to pay. So to me, it's kind of a little bit more of um, a quick or easy way. Um, to be able to kind of at least vet through talent and, and find somebody that potentially could be um, a good hire. But I, I think just like, you know, with everything else, everybody you hire isn't necessarily always going to be those those great hires. Um, what they say, yeah, the kids are a few frogs um, before yeah. you get to who you want to be. So a lot of that is still true, you know, no matter what process you go through. But I feel like it does cut down a time a little bit if you can find the right person. Yeah, and then you don't have to deal with governments, you know, like if you W-2 someone and they don't work out, you still got to deal with that state for quite a while and the letters and the nonsense and just avoiding all of that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, like um, Upwork, you know, they take a pretty high percentage. um, So you can always decide like how you're going to, you know, decide to bring somebody on, but you can just have them temporarily for just a project on Upwork, but they will, you know, take care of the, you know, the the W-9 and everything for everybody on the team. So they automatically get that. Um, It's at a higher cost than I think it should be, but, you know, you have to you have to pay to play a lot of times. So um, well, there's no way that Upwork can regulate. Like you can just email that person and pull them and, and hire them outside of Upwork. I'm sure it's against their terms of service. And I'm sure there's a million, you know, they're fighting against that all the time. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, all of these websites, like I have a, a Spanish tutor that I worked with that was part of some, you know, tutoring, you know, but we, we exchanged Skype and I'm like, forget them. Let's just Skype. You know what I mean? And right. they're obviously fighting that battle all the time. I get that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, your background, uh, cause we mm-hmm. talked to backstage about developing a chronology of your life. Um, I love these two stories about selling potato chips on the playground and your family newspaper. Um, those are amazing. Um, so, uh, you told me backstage that before Skype and FaceTime, you would literally put together like pictures and you would sell it to your family or like, how did that work with the family newspaper? <laughs> Yeah. So like you didn't really get to know like all the things that were going on in the family. This is before Facebook. So before everybody was posting like, oh, I got a new job or so-and-so is pregnant, just all these different things. So um, it's so funny that you said that um, I was an entrepreneur before, you know, at, from the from the beginning. Um, I always say like I did entrepreneurial things before I even knew what that was because I had no idea what entrepreneurial was, um, being an entrepreneur was. So um, yeah, I basically uh, found out everything that was kind of going on, you know, throughout my family. And um, I would get clip art. I would talk about certain things that were going on in the family. And then I would take those um, newspaper newspapers and then we would send them to my dad because my dad was in entirely different countries. So um, we couldn't connect with him like we're doing now in different states or let alone different countries. So we used to send him so he would get all the updates of what was going on in the family. But because it was a newspaper, I also and I was young enough where I couldn't get a job. Um, I decided to you know, try to sell their subscriptions just like I used to look at the Washington Post. So that was my you know, business model at that time. Um, I won't say that I made you know, buttload of money. Um, needless to say, I'm not doing it today. But it was like one of those seeds that were planted that kind of made me who I am. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's so many more too. I just, I think it's so adorable. This picture of you that I have in my mind of like just putting it together, and of course, all of the all of the family's like, "That's the cutest thing ever!" Like they're, they're dying, they're dying about how cute it is. You know, my daughter did something, my son did something like that. I'm like, oh, um, I got to share the story. I went downstairs because uh, my kids are with me today, and uh, my son was dipping Nutella. Um, with popcorn, he's like, 
you know, eating. And I was like, buddy, you got to ask me if you're going to like open a jar of Nutella and like eat the popcorn with the Nutella, you know? And, and then my daughter's like, can I have a Nutella sandwich? I'm like, that's fine. And then my son goes to the bathroom. He comes out. He's just bawling. He's like, that's not oh, yeah. fair. I'm like, oh, uh, I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're right. It's not fair. You're absolutely right. You know, yeah. and I was like, you got to have the smoothie popsicle because it's got fruits and vegetables in it. And then we just did the whole thing. But just the the essence of children, you know, is just, it's just, oh. Um, and as a kid, I think you kind of know that. <laughs> like in the back of your mind, you're like, I am super adorable. <laughs> Yeah, that's the whole model behind Girl Scout cookies, right? Uh, you can't say no. I was I was watching the show and I ding dong. I heard it. And I like look outside my window and I said these two girls. I'm like, I am not going to engage. <laughs> not going to engage. Not going to do it because I know it's going to be 50 bucks. I'm like, how much are those $20 for like a box? Like <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, the cookies are so good. Those little... uh the ones with the little hole in the middle and the the chocolate stripes. Yes, the um Samoas. Yes, oh, Samoas. <laughs> yes, oh, Samoas. I know oh. them well and, and, and unwell at the same time. That's right. That's right. And now I am diabetic. Um, that's too funny. Um, ten fifty nine. We're gonna wrap the show up. Um, I'm gonna do a quick pitch for the show, and then we're gonna give you the last word. Um, Y'all know the drill, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, youtube.com forward slash send it rising. The name of the show is Marketing is a Foreign Language. Why is it youtube.com forward slash send it rising? Because I happen to be the owner of Send It Rising Internet Marketing, SEO, pay-per-click, WordPress, LinkedIn, Facebook. You know the drill, graphic uh, design and everything else. Um, if you are like most folks and you're watching the show after the fact, we appreciate everyone who swings by youtube.com forward slash send it rising, even though the show is also on the send it rising Facebook page, my personal LinkedIn, Twitter at Kellen Kautzman and a million other places. If you are listening to us on iTunes and Spotify, Hey, we love you. We've been growing a lot there recently and we really do appreciate all of the downloads. Our guest today, entrepreneur from a very early age, great conversation, Grish. Tell the fine folks how they can reach out to you and leave them with a word of wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. So my kind of hub of everything is IamGresh.com has links to literally, you know, everything that I'm working on. You can also check out Blue16Media.com has links to the podcast, the blog, all the, you know, digital marketing work that we do as well, too. And the the thing I would say, and we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, being a kid and, and kind of like tapping into that and, and how that's, you know, so beautiful for me, like a lot of what I do what I have done has started with me being a kid. So I would say sometimes when you do things as a kid, those are seeds planted for things that you can do in the future. You just have to be creative about how that comes about. So don't, you know, dismiss those childlike interests that you had. And if you're thinking about starting a business or doing something, tap into that because there might be some really great innovations there. Ladies and gentlemen, that is episode 251. We appreciate you swinging on by and we'll see you next time.